Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. On February 18, 2021, the world watched in amazement as the next generation of Mars rovers set foot on the Red Planet. Mars Perseverance is the vehicle that will venture out into the Martian desert to help create the first weather network on another planet. To explore the mission details of NASA's latest rover, we're sitting down with one of the experts, Dr. Manuel De La Torre of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. We'll break down the suite of instruments on board that will help determine the day-to-day weather conditions and how those conditions may affect the future of human exploration. Get ready for an out-of-this-world geek out. Manuel, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, we always ask our guests a question, and it's usually a question about how did you become a weather geek? I'm going to ask you a slightly different question. How did you become a physics and astronomy geek? (laughs) (laughs) You <laughs> um, started as a child. Um, I don't know, partly because uh, growing up as a Boy Scout, I loved going out into the mountains um, and uh, watching the stars at night and wonder how big is this universe and, and in an amazement and uh, see how little uh, we are compared to yeah the rest of the of the night sky and um i don't know uh, that aired my uh, that raised my interest in i'm trying to understand what is out there uh and that uh, attracted me to astronomy and especially physics physics is also about uh, what is the universe made of uh, what are we everything that surrounds us surrounds us made of uh that's it. Yeah. No. So you have a story that's very similar to those of us in the weather world. Usually it's some some storm or some event that happened when we were younger that uh, sort of spearheaded our interest. And it sounds very similar. Let me give you the listeners some background on Dr. De La Torre. He's the deputy principal investigator of META. M-E-D-A, and I'm pretty sure we're going to learn what that is. It's the Mars Environmental Dynamics Analyzer. Uh, he has been at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory from since 1997. He has a master's degree in fundamental physics from Universidad Complutense of Madrid and a PhD in nonlinear phenomena and physics from UNED. He has also served as a professor at various universities uh, in physics, and he's won several NASA Group Achievements Achievement Awards. So we're clearly talking to someone that knows his stuff. And so that's why we always have the best and brightest on Weather Geeks. Uh, tell us a little bit about your career before we really dive into Mars rovers and Mars Perseverance and Meta. Tell us a little bit about your career at JPL, what have what have you done in, at, at JPL? And by the way, JPL, the Jet Propulsion Lab, 
uh, is a part of the NASA world, but it's also a part of the academic world too. I believe at Caltech, uh, it's a very interesting, I, I spent 12 years of my career at NASA Goddard, and many people don't realize that there are several NASA centers around the nation and they all have various expertise. So tell us a little bit about your time at JPL. Uh, yeah, so I did land at JPL a little bit by by accident. Um, I was at the time working at the university and doing um, geophysical fluid dynamics, which means essentially how the atmospheres flow. And this was very fundamental research. Um, and I thought I would try to get an experience um, in looking at the real world data and connect that with these very abstract concepts that are almost more related to mathematics than to the real world. And um, the accident was in that I just thought I was coming for one year, but um, after one year of experience, I saw the, uh, the wide range of possibilities that you encounter at JPL in terms of under, uh, understanding and studying many different planets. And um, so I stayed and I, when I arrived here, I was initially looking at uh, the dynamics of the uh, Jovian red spot, essentially, um, uh, the question about how deep it is. And from there, it evolved into looking also at terrestrial phenomena, like processes that do affect our climate. Uh, and then um, I continued, um, while continuing studying the, the Earth's atmosphere and all these climate processes, I heard of the opportunity to join uh, the Mars Science Laboratory. Uh, there was a contribution of an environmental station to Curiosity that was coming from Spain. And because I myself came from Spain, um, it seemed like a nice fit where I could help both. Um, and uh, so I joined. Um, the Robert Environment, Environmental Monitoring Station. And when the, uh, after a few years, when there was a call for proposals for um, another instrument suite on Mars 2020, we proposed together the same team that worked for REMS. Uh, we were lucky, we won the, that proposal, and we are now um, measuring the weather on the surface of Mars. We propose the Mars Environmental Dynamics Analyzer, META. Yeah, META, yeah. And that's so, and we're, we're talking with Dr. Manuel De La Torre of uh, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. And we are about to have the ultimate weather geek out, but another worldly weather geek out, because indeed uh, the Mars Environmental Dynamics Analyzer, which is aboard the uh, rover Perseverance, is indeed measuring the weather on Mars. And I think it's working in, in tandem with Mars Curiosity and the InSight lander, which also has some weather measuring capabilities as well. So tell us about weather monitoring on Mars. Uh, why are we doing it? Uh, to the question of why are we doing it? Um, yeah. There are two answers to that, at least. The first one is, um, pragmatic, practical. If we want to go there um, on Mars, we do have an atmosphere that we need to contend with. So we need to design the engineering of all the systems, um, devices that you take there to the uh, to su survive and work at the con uh, conditions that you are going to encounter there. So from a pragmatic point of view, it is preparation for future exploration of Mars, either robotic or human. 
The second answer, which I think is equally important, is um, precisely what uh, to add to answer the question that I was asking myself as a as a kid. Um, what is out there in the universe? How different or how similar it is to our very own world? So I do think that it goes after the questions of a deeper understanding of ourselves, um, our environment, how unique is our own earth or how different. Yeah, I think that's right. I, you know, as, as someone I mentioned that worked at NASA many years myself, you know, people don't understand the sort of big picture of why what NASA is doing is so important on so many fronts. I think people get caught up in their day to day lives and paying their bills and say, well, why are we spending all of this money on satellites to measure precipitation from space or going to Mars with rovers? It's a part of a bigger picture understanding that I think you articulated very well, in addition to just scientific and technological and engineering advancement that also benefit us here on our planet. I want to kind of can you give the listeners, because, again, many of the listeners of Weather Geeks probably know a lot about the weather and climate, but maybe don't know enough, know as much about Mars rovers. So put the Mars perseverance in perspective as it relates to the sort of evolving sort of generation of Mars rovers. Why, why is this one different? What is it bringing to the table that previous ones didn't? Yeah, so. Um, uh the Mars weather um, studies started early on um, in the first landed station was the, the Vikings. Um, there were two platforms that landed in the 1970s, uh, Viking one, Viking lander one and Viking lander two. They already carried um, uh, temperature sensors, wind sensors, and uh, they gave us the first look into what is it like on the surface of Mars. And the, in fact, one of them provided um, a barometer that uh, survived for several years. So we were able to accumulate a record of three Martian years. Remember that because Mars is further from the sun. Uh, Mars, um, a Martian year is uh, two Earth years. So it takes longer to do the full cycle. Is, is, cycle. That, is that called, a, do we call a Martian year a soul or is that a, something else? <laughs> no, a soul is a day, a Martian day. A day, I see, I see. Which is about 39 minutes longer than a day on Earth. So we have um, a Martian soul, but then the year is twice as long as the Earth year. Yeah, we still call it a Martian year. and uh, But we have not invented, well, we do use the concepts of uh, northern or southern spring, northern or southern winter, but we also measure them in um, what they call areocentric um, longitude, which measures how far we are uh, in our travel around the sun. So that's what they call, as I said, solar longitude or areocentric longitude, helps the best. Um, so, and then, so Viking, when I say that I collected, I think it was two years and a half, um, probably um, of uh, pressure data. They, that means five years, five Earth years of data. The, the other, um, inter, the other meteorological stations that came later with Mars Pathfinder, um, they were not designed to survive that long. Um, so Mars Pathfinder, I've, I remember, I heard that it was initially designed for a few weeks and it's last, it lasted uh, three times as long as it was designed for. So we did collect more additional data. Mars Pathfinder 
had one novelty in that it carried um, temperature sensors at different heights so that we would get a vertical profile of uh, temperature uh, near the surface of Mars for, I think it was about three months. Then we had Phoenix, which landed on uh, at a high latitude on the near the edge of the polar caps. Uh, so it measured the, uh, the weather, the environment near the, near the poles. Uh, then we did get uh, the Rover Environmental Monitoring Station on Curiosity, REMS. Um, which is the one that uh, brought me onto uh, studying the surface of Mars. And um, with some of the spares of REMS, uh, they, um, they were able to um, nearly improvise another meteorological station on InSight. And now META is an evolution of all the meteorological stations, uh, taking all, everything we've learned from the previous meteorological stations. It has been refined and made more robust than the previous ones so that we can measure when we're measuring the same um, uh, magnitudes like pressure we have a higher resolution um, when we are measuring um, temperatures we're measuring it at different heights as i mentioned that uh, that mars pathfinder did uh, when we are measuring radiation now we are measuring uh, different colors um, which allows us to provide more information about atmospheric aerosols uh, um, aerosols, when they interfere with the solar light, they do um, uh, through their uh, through scattering and um, and as well as through absorption, they give us an information of how many aerosols do we have in the atmosphere. They provide us information about the particle size. Their color tells us if these aerosols are dominated by either ice or dust. Um, we have relative, relative humidity sensors, which still are challenged by the low um, atmospheric um, moisture on Mars. Uh, the relative humidity on Mars, um, even though there is a water vapor in the air, uh, remember that it is a very thin atmosphere, it is 100 on the surface. <laughs> its density is about 100th that of the Earth. So it's the kind of densities we would find, say, at 30 kilometers above the Earth's surface. So the clouds, even when they exist, and they do exist both on Mars and on Earth, um, at 30 kilometers, um, because the atmosphere is so thin, those clouds contain very little water. So any sensors that you send there, they are really, um, they're up to a really tough task. And what happens on Mars is as soon as the sun um, goes up, we do um, have um, uh, the water vapor, um, the, the, sorry, the, the temp sorry, the temperatures increase so much that the relative humidity goes close to 1%, which is the limit of uh, our sensors. But at night, when the relative humidity increases to 20, 80%, depending on the season, uh, we are able to measure the hydrological cycle. What else do we have? Wind sensors, that is really a challenge on Mars as it is on Earth. Um, the, the uh, I'm going in my mind through all the through all the sensors and the thermal infrared sensor. I think that thermal infrared sensor is actually a series of um, sensors that are looking at, as I said, in thermal infrared and allow us to measure pretty much like when we measure your temperature, if you feel fever, um, um, with a thermal infrared sensor on occasion, so uh, you, you will have, have those typically at the doctor. 
uh, we use the same thing to measure the surface temperature. And at the same time, the temperature, I think it's at about some 30 meters above the surface, roughly. That way we uh, are able to get our vertical temperature profile, the one I mentioned, um, by measuring the temperature at the surface, the temperature at uh, 0.85 uh, centimeters, that's about two and a half, three feet, a little bit less than three feet. Uh, then 1.45, which is more like uh, five feet, I believe. Um, and then uh, 40 meters. So we have four altitudes. And how that temperature changes with time is interesting because it tells us when do we have uh, convective turbulence. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking a lot, but. Uh, oh, this is beautiful. You're this is you're geeking out as we say on this show, and we love it. That this is one of the things we love about this podcast. But let me take a quick break, and then we yeah. will continue the conversation. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Dr. Manuel De La Torre. And you just heard what we do. We This is what we do on Weather Geeks, and I love it. We, he was geeking out on weather Martian style. And one of the things that he talked about is how the evolution of these programs on Mars have brought us to the point where the META instrument uh, carried to Mars on Perseverance has provided us perhaps with the most advanced suite of weather instruments uh, on the planet to date. And that that builds on those previous missions. I want to talk a little bit about where these rovers are located taking these measures. But you mentioned earlier that there was one that went up to the polar regions. I, I believe Insight and Curiosity are located near the equator, as I recall. Um, where Where's Perse- Perseverance and Meta? Um, Perseverance and Meta are on Jezero Crater. Um, oh God, I forget the exact longitude. It's, it's still uh, um, relatively close to the equator, but it's further than Insight and um, and, and MSL. The so we are in the northern hemisphere, which exposes us uh, to a few um, more behaviors. I think I looked at uh, once where would we be if we were on Earth? We would be more or less in the north of the Indian subcontinent, while Perseverance is more in um, in Indonesia. I forget the island is precisely. Um, uh, that gives in the middle of the oceanic ocean. Yeah. Pretty, good, pretty good reference point for where it is relative to yeah. Earth. 
Yeah, and it is it is in the southern uh, hemisphere, about three degrees south. Uh, curiosity, perseverance is. I think it's about more cl closer to fifteen degrees. And it is on Jezero Crater. So Jezero Crater is another uh, basin. Um, the uh, I think it's about two thousand meters below the average Mars surface, and it is a crater that shows um, from orbit. Um, uh, it shows a delta. And the reason why we landed there is because the main uh, interest of um, of perseverance is to look at, at astrobiology and uh, potential biosignatures of life that as it might have existed billions of years ago. And uh, one thing I like to point out in, is that for the weather geeks, uh, we can call it that way. Um, we can call perseverance objective that way. Uh, it is also a climate instrument because what we're after is we're looking at what the weather and environment were like uh, billions of years ago. Remember that um, at the time, or well, not everyone knows, I myself discovered relatively recently, the earth itself about um, three billion of years ago was not, the earth's atmosphere did not have oxygen. So there are all these hypothesis theories that suggest that our own earth probably was more of an orange sky, um, possibly because of the composition it had at the time. So at that time, the time we're looking after, um, Mars, the geology of Mars tells us that it was covered with water or it had lots of water bodies, hence the delta where we landed at. We do see from orbit all this imagery that suggests that there were fluvial activities. So there were rivers that actually brought all these materials into that delta. And that delta is a great um, structure that collects materials from everywhere else that those river, rivers might have brought back or brought back, brought down to Jezero, um, as I said, a couple billion, three billions of years ago. And so I know that you have uh, something called MOXIE, uh, the oh. oxygen making system, because you just mentioned oxygen. And yeah. so Meta has all of these things that it's you know going to do in addition to uh, measuring the weather. It's showing uh, weather impacts uh, on dust, uh, measuring water vapor, uh, and so forth. And so the, again, all of the capabilities. Talk a little bit about both the oxygen um, making capabilities of, uh, I guess, the MOXIE, and also the sort of importance of dust measurement on Mars. Yes. Um, so uh, Perseverance carries several instruments. I've, um, I think it's about seven Moxie being one of them. The so Moxie is actually going to take the Martian atmosphere, which is mostly uh, CO two in composition, and try to extract oxygen by converting the CO two from the atmosphere in carbon monoxide and oxygen. Um, so it's essentially, it is some um, catalytic uh, chemistry that it is used on Earth. The challenge that MOXIE has encountered is that uh, this kind of, of instrumentation that is used um, on Earth occasionally, it, uh, those are huge um, uh, machines and that do work on our environment. Uh, so MOXIE's challenge is to work with, as I said, with a very thin atmosphere 
So the, the amount of CO2 that they can capture or oxygen that they can produce after that is very small. And at the same time, uh, they have to be um, small and consuming relatively little energy. They still are hungry because all this um, uh, catalytic chemistry that they're uh, uh, using, that they're applying, requires a lot of heat. But um, um, anyway, it's one step towards producing uh, uh, instruments or or tools that uh, future missions could carry uh, that have um, a weight that one can take to Mars. Very interesting. We're talking with Dr. Manuel De La Torre about everything weather and Mars. And yes, other planets have Mars. I'm going to give you a little clue in case you didn't know this. The other planets have a polar vortex. You often hear about polar vortex here on Earth and the cold outbreaks, but there are other planetary systems in our solar system that actually have a polar vortex too. Mars even has dust storms or dust devils, these little tornado looking things. Uh, I I have seen those in previous uh, images that have come from the planet. One of the really important things about META, and you mentioned this earlier, is its ability to measure particulates or aerosols, um, because dust is a a critical sort of, I guess, geological or geochemical process on on the planet. So talk about META and the perseverance and the role of dust on Mars. Yes, the uh, on Mars, the there is very little water, as I said earlier, and um, the main contributor to the uh, heating of the atmosphere is actually dust. Uh, um, Mars is a, um, a dusty planet. Um, it has a couple of interesting differences with our own Earth. The uh, the first one being that when we do look at the uh, the planet, even before, uh, I think it was the first probe that was sent to Mars, all of a sudden encountered itself nearly engulfed in a, in a Martian storm. Well, it was high enough that it was not engulfed, but it did measure, it did see um, the um, darkening of the Martian skies. Because on Mars, there are um, dust storms all the time, but some of them do get to engulf the whole planet. We've, we know by now that it is a very repetitive process. So every single year we do have what uh, we call the dust storm season that spans for several months, uh, which has been even subdivided into several stages or phases where you do have uh, these dust storms that will engulf a large proportion of the planet and every about every second year, roughly. Um, we get a big dust storm that uh, covers the whole planet. When dust uh, is lifted and and covers the whole planet, what happens is it uh, darkens the sky, so the sun uh, the sunlight does not penetrate that deep. But at the same time, the sunlight does not escape. So the uh, in the daytime, the temperatures at noon will get colder. But at the same time, at night, um, it will not cool down that much. So the temperature range on Mars that right now we're measuring between 9 Fahrenheit and uh, minus 117 on a typical soil, that temperature range will decrease, uh, will become um, less of a difference. At the same time, that homogenizes the planet and weather um, 
and becomes calmer during the dust storms. It's interesting. We've measured uh, different measure, uh, different uh, missions in the past have measured an increasing winds, but at the same time that we see an increasing winds, we we seem to find less. Um, Baroclinic activity for the extreme geeks, uh, so less. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a nice weather term there. Baroclinicity there; these gradients in temperature uh, that we see as a with along cold fronts here in the U.S. and so forth, or in the on, on the yeah. planet. And gee, so I, I I love it. And I, I Manuel, you told me earlier that you study Earth as well. So I I love any guest that can throw out baroclinicity in a weather geeks podcast. That just warms my heart. So you know, there's there's one thing I want to ask you because I think it confuses people about the Martian atmosphere versus the Earth's atmosphere. You alluded to radiation at measuring instruments on Meta earlier. You mentioned that the majority of the Martian atmosphere is carbon dioxide. Here on Earth, we're worried about excessive carbon dioxide and warming of the climate, which we are experiencing and will continue to do so. Yet you just mentioned temperatures of minus 100 degrees and nine degrees. So, and, and I explained to the listeners how this carbon dioxide rich atmosphere doesn't have a global warming problem, if you will. I, I think it's counterintuitive to people, but I, I, it's related to the physics and density and thinness of the atmosphere and all kinds of interesting things. So explain that to the listeners, because I know it can be confusing. Yes. So uh, first of all, <coughs> Mars does have a, its own uh, greenhouse activity because of carbon dioxide. Remember that, as I mentioned earlier, Mars is about twice the distance from the sun that the Earth is. So without that carbon dioxide, uh, Mars would be way colder than it is. Um, the So that in the first place. Uh, second, uh, you also... Uh, mentioned that when you were asking, uh, the Martian atmosphere is very thin. So even though it does have a greenhouse effect, uh, by being so thin, that means that the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is much smaller than on Earth, uh, uh, or much less. And it's pretty, uh, it's pretty low even on Earth, relatively speaking. <laughs> Yes, but it is. It does have. Um, it is relatively low, but uh, it does have a, a, a powerful um, greenhouse effect. Water, uh, water vapor does too. But uh, remember that our Earth um, has evolved over the billions, or life on our own Earth has evolved over the billions of years, adapted to the levels of water vapor and carbon dioxide that we were having. So this increase in carbon dioxide per se. Uh, might not be endangering different types of lights, but the fact that it is uh, shifting uh, the location of ecosystems on Earth that is already in the first place having lots of uh, impacts in terms of um, economic impacts. Now we cannot grow the plants where we used to be able to grow them, or we have uh, pests and um, insects that attack the trees, I think, uh, where, what did I read? Reading the Rockies, there is uh, right now this infection that is killing most of the trees uh, by um, by uh, some insect that could not survive earlier in this in those environments. It is alter, altering our ecosystems um, in ways that we are not used to or prepared for. So that's. Um, it's not that it's going to become totally unlivable. It's going to get uh, much hotter. Here where I live, we, I remember coming to this country about 20 years ago and having to suffer through probably one heat wave every year. Now, 
these heat waves that would last one week, maybe 10 days. Now I, we are getting three or four. Do we survive? Yes. It is a pain though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it certainly would impact some vulnerable populations less adapted or, or, or more at risk from heat and wildfires and so forth. Let's take one more break. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I'm speaking with Dr. Manuel De La Torre, who has really enlightened us on mission control to Mars perseverance. What's the forecast? You know, one of the really fascinating aspects of the Perseverance mission, and I was just reading about it this morning, is the, I guess, what has been called the Mars copter, but I guess it's technically called Ingenuity. First time we've sent a flying vehicle to the red planet. And I believe that I saw some images on social media that it actually is now being lowered down to the surface in early April. It will actually sometime in early April, it will take it its maiden flight. Um, clearly there are atmospheric implica implications. We're going to be flying a little hel helicopter drone around on the, in the atmosphere of Mars. Um, talk a little bit about just how neat and fascinating that is. Yeah, it is uh, a great experiment. So it, it is a, a drone, basically. You can think of it as a drone that has the challenge of having to fly on a very thin atmosphere. And we are all terribly anxious, um, wanting to see what is going to happen, but also incredibly nervous. Uh, remember that because we have to do all of these remotely, we do need to send the commands one day before the flight. Uh, guess um, what is the best time for it to fly and cross our fingers, hoping that the weather that we predicted we're going to have is not going to play against the helicopter. And the main challenges we're fighting with, um, or the helicopter team is fighting with, is understanding better the atmosphere and uh, what are the times where we do expect a turbulence or not, pretty much like when we do fly. Uh, nobody likes to sit on a on an airplane where the airplane gets into turbulence. Now on earth where we've been um, developing airplanes and helicopters for longer than a century, uh, we've learned to design those systems. Now this is the first flight of a helicopter in, on, this, uh, on the Martian environment. So as excited as we are, uh, we're also terribly uh, nervous about how that's going to go. Uh, here, when we fly a drone, typically those of you who might fly a drone, um, I've only seen other people do it. 
you go, you decide if this is a good day, you go out, you start flying your drone, and then you see in real time, how is it behaving? And you can make decisions about, okay, let's uh, land the drone or let's keep flying. We cannot do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's a little bit, a little bit, uh, bit, a bit of a different problem. And you, you mentioned something else that I wanted to kind of ask you about. You mentioned the forecast that you make. Are you using, uh, you know, numerical weather prediction in the same way that we forecast weather on the planet Earth. I mean, we're, you know, we're solving these complex Navier-Stokes equations, thermodynamic equations on a rotating body by giving it data uh, and then running those, uh, solving those equations forward in time on very large supercomputers and so forth. Are you doing that to make forecasts on Mars? Yes, uh, we've been doing that uh, for a good long time. Uh, in fact, in fact, it's part of uh, of our entry, descent, and landing uh, preparation. Uh, because uh, once you enter the Martian uh, atmosphere, at the speeds that the spacecraft is entering, the atmosphere is still going to affect you. It's still going to produce drag. Uh, we use the drag to our benefit, or the entry, descent, and landing engineers use drag to actually help navigate and control a little bit the destination of the of the spacecraft as it lands then when the parachute is deployed the parachute is exposed suddenly to the martian winds the parachute has to be uh, has to provide enough atmosphere uh, enough resistance to the atmosphere that it produces some lift or some slowdown um, and when it does so, it is also at the same time exposed to the strength and direction of the Martian winds. So it could deviate the spacecraft from where it is going to. And, um, and in order to do those simulations, we do use um, the complex uh, global circulation models. For the helicopter, it is a different problem. Uh, pretty much like on Earth, we have what you would what um, also the geeks call microclimate or micrometeorology, which is the meteorology uh, at a local uh, place. For instance, where I am at um, right now, next to the San Gabriel Mountains, the mountain weather is pretty different from one mile downhill where uh, it's on the plain, it's on the basin. So even though on the large scale you are within the same weather system, you still experience differences where the the, the topography is affecting the uh, the type of winds you're supposed to, uh, the hours at which you get winds, especially near the mountains where we have this downslope of jets in the evening or upslope at noon. Um, the helicopter is, is going to be subject to the same kind of dynamics and, and uh, phenomena. Yeah, that's going to be really challenging. But I, as I as I say, from my days at NASA, we 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 got paid to do really hard things, and 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 usually NASA does a good job at pulling them off. Even just going to Mars so frequently and landing as if it's routine now—that's a really hard thing still to do. And NASA's doing it with regularity now. So kudos to you and all of uh, my former colleagues and and the NASA engineers and scientists and all the contractors and support staff. Kudos to you all. We we really have to end it there, but before we do, it's time for our Geek of the Week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Howard Gebhardt. Howard is an air quality meteorologist at Air Resources Specialists Incorporated. He first decided to become a meteorologist when he was in seventh grade, and he uses his weather expertise in his day-to-day job and has even appeared as an expert witness for air pollution exposure. 
Wow, Howard, that's really cool. He's no stranger to crazy weather as he witnessed the devastating Colorado flooding in 2013, the 1997 floods in Fort Collins, and more recently, the terrible air quality from October 2020 Colorado wildfires. Thank you for all of your hard work, Howard, and congratulations. And don't forget to follow Howard on Twitter at Gebhart Howard. Now, if you think you know someone that is deserving of being our Geek of the Week, be sure to follow us on our social media handles. Um, is there anywhere before we let you go, Manuel, that uh, people can follow you or the mission on Twitter or on the web? Yes, um, we do have a website. Um, uh, Marcel Lidwendi has a website that even uh, uh, shares all the pictures that we are taking from the surface. Um, I, for, I forget it, but you can do a quick search uh, um, and uh, look for Mars um, rovers or Perseverance, uh, JPL NASA, and it will take you quickly to the to the website where we are collecting and publishing near real time every picture that we're taking. Yeah, and I would actually follow up on that and say, in addition to Perseverance, I mean, I've been able to find weather information from Curiosity and Insight and so forth on the web as well. Um, Manuel, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we will see you next time on Weather Geeks. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.